My name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Our guest today is Yerm Hazoni, chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation, president of the Herzl Institute, and leader of a movement called National Conservatism. Look, America doesn't need to be a world empire, and it, it also doesn't need to, to spend its time trying to enforce its values in the domestic scene in other countries. Uh, America needs to take care of itself. That's where woke neo-Marxism has come from. It's come from, you throw out God and scripture and within two generations, people can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman anymore. When you strip God and the nation from the, the public culture, when you stop reading the Bible and you stop thinking that Christianity and, and, and the biblical tradition is the, the basis for the public culture, and you just rely on liberalism, that doesn't work. It collapses very quickly. And that that this stuff is, is driving America off a cliff and it's gonna take the whole democratic world with it. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. National conservatism was a is is a phrase that has some history in the United States. It's been associated historically with uh, with figures like Daniel Webster. It's basically a form of conservatism that that comes to the fore whenever Americans start uh, uh, moving too far in a direction that is uh, imperialist. You can see it at you know at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. There's there's a strong uh, national conservatism of uh, Henry Cabot Lodge and uh, and and uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and various other Republicans, which is pushed back against the liberal internationalism of Woodrow Wilson. To make it simple, this liberal internationalism says, "Look, we know the answer. We know the basic answers to politics. There should be freedom and equality everywhere in the globe, and uh, America. It's America's business to make sure that there's freedom and equality everywhere in the globe, and." When that kind of mood hits uh, American liberals, you know, for, for, for example, over the last 30 years, then there's pushback from all sorts of characters that want to say, look, uh, uh, America doesn't need to be a world empire, and it, it also doesn't need to, to spend its time trying to enforce its values in the domestic scene in other countries. Uh, America needs to take care of itself. This kind of movement has surfaced, especially in in 2016, with uh, with Donald Trump and America First in the United States, and also with Brexit in in Britain, a very very similar kind of movement. And and more generally, we see national conservative uh, movements in back against a kind of globalized liberalism, which is you know more and more turning into globalized progressivism or globalized neo-Marxism, the pushback against that is, is uh, often called national conservatism. And we've, we've, been, we, we've run half a dozen of these, these uh, big conferences, th three in America and three in Europe, uh, to, uh, to gather people who uh, want to meet other national conservatives and, 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 and share in the fight. This year's American conference is September 11th through 13th in Miami. And I hope that you, Alan, and, and many of your listeners will, will, will be there with us. 
you talk about how what we call liberal democracy has devolved into a I'll call it an animal that Americans have never seen before in the sense of institutions turning against what they were founded to do, um, showing, having an intolerance to various uh, points of view that aren't part of their mainstream. What has occurred in the very re from the very recent past that has many Americans, and according to the polls, most Americans extremely upset at uh, what they call cancel culture, what they call critical race theory being taught in schools and also being used um, by big businesses. Why all of a sudden have we had this tremendous shift in America? There is a tremendous shift. And, and you can even say, you know, the 2020, that the year 2020 was the year in which, uh, in which this woke neo-Marxism um, made this big push to take over uh, or uh, to take over institutions across the United States and also in Britain and elsewhere. And uh, that is a big shift. I'm not, I'm not sure how sudden it really is because at least in, 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 in the book, I argue that, that this is more or less a straight line uh, proceeds in a straight line from from the uh, 1940s, uh, post World War II, when the American Supreme Court uh, announced that uh, that all states in the United States would have to uh, to impose a separation of church and state and eliminate Christianity and and you know and, and any kind of religion or religious teaching from 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 the schools by the 1960s. That that's a a ban on the Bible. It's a ban on school prayer, it's more or less a, a clear trajectory that in, in the 1960s and 70s, um, religion was driven out of American public life. Um, in the, uh, by, by the 1990s, the idea of the traditional uh, family or national independence as a, as a value, the nation as a value uh, were under severe attack. And by the time that you get to, you know, the, 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 the 2010s, you've already got uh, an attack on man and woman as, as basic concepts. Over those 60 years, there's a cultural revolution in the United States that, that keeps getting more severe. And, uh, and it's going to keep going until, uh, until there's a, a major force that's poised against it that can uh, stop it. You know, I think that uh, Chris Rufo and, and all the people at the grassroots level and Ron DeSantis, all these people who are they're reacting by fighting, you know, on the school boards and at the state level in order to try to restrain uh, critical uh, race theory and critical gender theory. Uh, all of this is, is good stuff and it's, it's the right thing to be doing. But I think that we need to keep our eye also on the larger picture. The larger picture is that uh, uh, up until World War II, America was a Christian democracy. It was what Franklin Roosevelt called a God-fearing democracy. And uh, after World War II, Americans turned against this and said, look, 
that 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 stuff is is dangerous. It's primitive. We should just have liberalism instead. That's where the that that's where the term liberal democracy comes from. It's the liberal democracy is the the idea that America is no longer going to be a a, a Christian nation, a Christian democracy, and that idea of get get rid of Christianity, get rid of nationalism, and just focus on freedom and nothing but freedom. I, I, I think that that is aerodynamically completely unstable. Freedom, of course, is precious. It's important to all of us. But when you when you strip um, uh, God and the nation from the, the 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 public culture, when you stop reading the Bible and you stop thinking that uh, understanding that Christianity and 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 the biblical tradition is the the basis for the public culture, and you just rely on liberalism. That doesn't work. It collapses very quickly, and that that's where woke neo-Marxism has come from. It's come from you throw out God and Scripture, and within two generations, people can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman anymore. In the book, you make a very strong case for what you just uh, said that this is not a new phenomenon. It's a phenomenon that played itself out through the second part of the uh, 20th century and even a bit earlier. You praise Ronald Reagan for, in fact, introducing constitutional amendment on prayer um, and trying to reverse this privatization of religion, putting religion in a box in getting it out of the public square. You also make a very clear and I think a correct case that we are dealing with neo-Marxism. That we're not just dealing with progressivism or there are a whole bunch of other terms that are being um, bandied about to describe who the enemy is on the other side. You call it neo-Marxist, and in the book, you go through why this is an offshoot or a progressive version of Marxism. Can you share with us uh, why you think this is a Marxist movement, which we all thought was buried when the Berlin Wall collapsed? Right, right. We, we, we did think that. Um, well, uh, uh, the Marxist frame, what, what I call the Marxist framework is um, it, it, it's based on a few um, simple and important ideas. The, the, the first is that, is that uh, human beings divide into groups and, uh, and, and that's something which I think is true that human beings all, all, always are, you know, find themselves in, in different groups, but um, but the second point is that Marx believes that that um, that whenever society is divided into groups, the strongest group is always oppressing the less powerful groups. That's something that's a little bit less believable. That every single case where where there's one group that's stronger, then its relationship with the weaker groups is one of oppression and exploitation. That it. It, it harms them by taking away things uh, that they have and, and taking it to themselves. 
Um, the, the third point is um, false consciousness, um, which, which uh, is actually a term that Engels uh, uh, coined, but, but, but it's in Marx as well. The, the idea that, that when you have a stronger group and a weaker group, the ideas that circulate in society, they only serve the stronger group. So the, the, the ideas that everybody's using and talking about are themselves a form of oppression, right? The, 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 you know, when you go to college and you hear uh, uh, liberals or conservatives or, 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 or whoever it is who's the strongest in the society, when you hear them talking, they're actually oppressing the other groups with their speech. And the uh, final plank in this Marxist framework is, uh, is, uh, is a, a thorough um, uh, overthrowing of the existing uh, order in order to create a, a new order in which the oppression ends, where the, where the weak groups take over and the oppression comes to an end. And that, that's one of the, uh, uh, th that's really kind of the scariest part of all of this is that Marx doesn't think there's any way to end oppression except when the weak overthrow the strong um, by, by, uh, by whatever means necessary, including violence. And the, um, and, and it, it, so it, it's scary because, because it's basically calling for the thorough, thoroughgoing destruction of the existing society because it's oppressive. And it's also scary because, because um, because Marxists never have a, 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 a Marx didn't have a clear view at all about what comes after the revolution. Like you know, you would think that if all cla classes, strong classes, oppress the weak classes, then as soon as you know the weak become the strong, then they'll be oppressors too. Marx doesn't Marx doesn't believe that, but he doesn't tell us you know how is that going to be avoided. And I think when we when we're looking at um, at the, the, the woke movement in America and Britain, we see that all four of these, uh, uh, these parts of the Marxist structure are, uh, are, are explicit and they're, they're, they're constant. The, the, the idea that, um, that, you, that society is divided, on, uh, divided by race is, is, uh, is new, uh, because, because, uh, and that's what makes it neo-Marxist is that that society is divided by race, but everything else is the same. The idea that uh, that whites are inherently oppressive, that the power structure that because they're stronger than everybody else, that means that they oppress everybody else. The the idea of false consciousness, the fact that every uh, uh, the the ideas that we speak with, the the things we think with, um, that are that are traditional are nothing but upholding a racist system and the idea that the only answer is revolution to to eliminate uh, the power of the oppressing class in this case the whites and, um, and and replace it with something that is never described and, and it's claimed that it's not going to be oppressive but but the, how that's possible is never described so I I I, I definitely think that we're 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 dealing with a a, a, a neo-Marxist movement, and um, uh, I don't say that just you know in order to uh, hurl names or to insult people, but I I think it's important to be able to see through that lens um, uh, that this is a cultural revolution, and that its aim really is the destruction of the existing order, 
and also that they don't have a plan. I think that you make an extremely important point, especially for leaders of the opposition, let us say our side. And, um, and that is that we have to understand this is a revolution and that violence is part of the tool bag, tool bag that the other side will use, has used, to in fact impose their will on the, on the country. I just want to read a sentence from your book. You write, the Marxists who have seized control of the means of producing and disseminating ideas in America cannot, without betraying their cause, confer legitimacy on any conservative ideas or government. Right. And, um, and which leads me to a question, uh, are elections going to solve election outcomes? We see the polls saying that Republicans should win back the House and Senate, 2024, maybe elect the president. Is it gonna be enough to stop this movement? Uh, well, I, I, I think I, I think we have to be very careful with thinking, with believing that elections have the power to stop this, because uh, we're describing, you know, a system of ideas, and that system of ideas is getting stronger and stronger. For for the last couple of years, I mean, it's been uh, victorious almost everywhere. Now, it's true that, uh, thank goodness, there, there there is now some pushback at the local level and at the state state level. And all that's really important, but uh, we should keep in mind that the only way to defeat a system of ideas is with a competing system of ideas. You can't just say, no, uh, we'll eliminate this from our, we'll edit the, uh, the curriculum in our local school, and that's going to be the end of it. It's not the end of it, because, because the people who put this stuff in the school, they're, they're all still there. They all believe the same things, you know. When when a when a school board uh, uh, decides that certain things are not going to be said and certain things are not going to be taught, the people who wanted that taught they're all still there. They're all still running these institutions, and so what we really are going to need is a powerful alternative. Um, and th th that's, that's what I propose in, in my book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery, is that the, uh, the powerful alternative is, uh, has got to be something like Christian democracy. It has to be conservative democracy. It's not enough to, you know, to just fight uh, rearguard actions to try to keep some of the worst stuff out. You need a positive alternative. And uh, what I would like to see is uh, is uh, Republicans and hopefully also some Democrats um, who, who can see that, that this stuff is, is driving America off a cliff and it's going to take the whole democratic world with it. Properly fight, we need to, to embrace um, an ideology of uh, a, a worldview of uh, biblical tradition and Christian tradition being the basic framework uh, as an alternative. Now, I, I understand that there's lots of places 
in America where that's not going to fly right now. But on the other hand, there are places, there are plenty of states and, and, and uh, localities in the United States where there is still a Christian democracy. And, uh, and I hope that uh, uh, you know, some Jews and other conservatives would, would, would support this as well. Um, and uh, I, I think in the end, the way to fight is going to be uh, to, uh, to repeal separation of church and state from which the Supreme Court imposed on the United States in 1947, uh, repeal that um, uh, principle that Christianity, which built the United States, is not allowed to uh, to be taught in the schools and is not allowed to to form the public life of the country. I think that's the only real way to fight ultimately. And uh, I, I I don't think Republicans are quite there yet, but hopefully it's coming. Well, with the election of J.D. Vance, and there will be some others who are part of the nationalist camp, um, uh, there's going to be uh, more force within the Republican Party to, in fact, move towards what you are talking about. Why don't you spend quite a bit of time in your book dissecting what became known as fusionism, that during the Cold War, there was an injection of, let us say, liberalism um, into the conservative movement, and that it was tagged as a fusion between liberal and conservative, which worked for a couple of decades. But you also say that at the end of the day, it, um, it has been a failure, that this attempt to bring together liberalism and conservatism has in fact driven conservative to the fringes of society. Can you talk a bit about what conservatives have to do um, to, uh, in a sense, get their house back in order and, uh, and move forward? Sure. Uh, for, for, first off, I think the important thing to say about, about William, William Buckley and, and the Cold War conservative movement, which, which by the 1960s was being called fusionism, the, the, the important thing to say about it is that in, the, in that context in which socialism was uh, expanding rapidly in the United States and in Britain and, and, and across Europe through the, in, in democratic countries, and communism was expanding um, uh, overseas and around the globe, in, under those circumstances, the, the basic idea that liberals, people who primarily are concerned with, you know, with uh, individual freedoms, and conservatives who are more focused on the, uh, the, 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 the transmission of the religious and political inheritance from one generation to the next, those two groups really did need to ally with one another in order to fight communism and socialism. 
So I, I, I think the, the idea of the alliance between liberals and conservatives is, is not a bad idea. It, I, I mean, it, it is what won the Cold War. The, 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 the problem, and I, I think this was a, a disaster, was that, that that alliance was designed in a way that, that gave the upper hand to liberalism. And uh, roughly um, 1960s era Cold War uh, American conservatism, what's called fusionist conservatism, the thing that's called conservatism was a, a fusion, a marriage between a public, um, a public philosophy of liberalism and a private conservatism. The idea was basically, let's give the public as many freedoms as possible. And at home, in the privacy of our own home, we'll be, you know, Orthodox Christians or Orthodox Jews or, or, or whatever it is, and we'll uphold the traditions. And I think that it's clear that by the time you get to the end of the Reagan-Thatcher years, um, the fall of the Berlin Wall, by the time you get there, the next thing that happens is, is, that, is that the successors of Reagan and Thatcher are they, they're not conservatives in, in any way anymore. Uh, the, their whole philosophy is, is public liberalism and nationalism and uh, religion um, are, are, are just not an important part of, of the worldview anymore. So um, conservatives today have to, we, we have to fight on a, on a couple of different fronts. In the first place, we have to be able to tell the difference between a liberal and a conservative. And that, that's why I, I, I spend some time in this uh, new book, Conservatism of Rediscovery, making it clear, making it possible for, for people to, to identify, am I more of a liberal or am I more of a conservative? I think that distinction is crucial. Now, we are going to need, again, some kind of alliance with between liberals and conservatives, because, because with woke neo-Marxism uh, um, moving into a dominant position in institutions across America and in the UK and in other countries, and, and with China um, rising quickly abroad, the, the position is, we find ourselves in a position that reminds us of the 1960s. And again, there's not gonna be any choice, but for anti-Marxist liberals, the, the few of them that are left to, uh, to uh, be in alliance with conservatives, with us. But that doesn't mean that we have to accept the terms of that old disastrous fusionist agreement, right? We, 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 I think conservatives need to say, look, what we really need is a conservative public culture. We need a Bible-based uh, uh, public culture that honors, honors Christianity, uh, in those parts of the country where there's still a cr Christian majority, in those places where by, by democratic means it's possible to, uh, to establish conservative democracy instead of liberal democracy, to establish a public life that's, that's uh, based on, um, on, on God and scripture. I think that we need to do that. And we need to tell liberals, look, uh, we'll, 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 we're with you on fighting the Marxists. But where we have a majority, we're going to use democratic means in order to create a public conservatism, a public uh, life for the country in which uh, God, and, God and the Bible, family and the nation, man and woman uh, uh, are, are honored in the traditional way.
you know, one of the um, bright spots <laughs> that I see is that in the polling, there are non-conservative groups, large ones, minority groups, um, Hispanics, that are very turned off by this woke ideology. A lot of it, the opposition is religious-based. And, um, and we have seen in elections, as, as recently as the 2020 election here in the United States, but even after 2020, we have seen substantial breaks in what is the Democratic Party coalition of the groups that I'm talking about actually ending up voting Republican. And we have run a couple of elections in New York in 2021 and 2022 that we won. And the only way we won those elections was by um, actually getting the support of a large number of Black voters, Hispanic voters, and other non-Republican voters. Which brings me to a question which I'd like to hear your point of view in terms of the word populist, which has been besmirched in this country as populism equals fascism. The populist movement, quite frankly, of Donald Trump brought these people into the fold, was started the process. Do you have some views on populism? Well, I, I, as you know, I, I usually call myself a nationalist. And uh, uh, nationalism is, is also a word that, uh, that Trump himself and, and lots of people who are kind of in, in, you know, in this, uh, uh, this orientation um, use. Uh, the, the two words are not exactly the same. And, uh, uh, nationalists are, um, usually when you think about nationalists, you think about people who uh, who want to unite the different classes and parts of the country uh, behind a, you know, an, an effort to put, uh, to make their country great again. You know, the, the, that, that old Ronald Reagan slogan, let's make America great again, uh, which, which Trump ad ad adopted in a certain way. So that, that nationalism, that kind of nationalism, I think is a, it's, it's a good impulse because it's capable of uniting different classes. Usually people who use the, the word populism are, are thinking kind of in terms of a class war. Uh, like they're saying, you know, um, uh, the, the working class or the, the, the less educated people should, should fight the, 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 the educated people uh, and the laptop class. Now, I, I understand why people are saying that because, um, because it's, it, it, it's true that, uh, that uh, educated elites in America and in Britain uh, have increasingly excluded conservatives from any kind of legitimacy. So, I mean, 30 years ago, um, you know, when, when 35 years ago, 30 years ago, when, when I was still in, in graduate school, um, all my professors were liberals, but uh, they didn't 
they didn't have a problem with having a conservative in their classes uh, who was studying with them, who got a doctorate for, for writing conservative kind of things. They thought that having conservatives around was legitimate, that you know, in a democratic society, of course, there'd be you know, some liberals and some conservatives. And um, what has changed is that, uh, that it's not really legitimate to be a conservative in many, many places anymore. In, uh, wherever there are educated people, people are afraid to identify as conservative. And so the whole thing really does take on, it looks like a class conflict, like you know, the, the educated class against the working class. And uh, so I, I'm sympathetic. I, 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 I understand that there's some truth in that, that the, uh, that the working class really has um, uh, gotten a, a particularly bum deal from, you know, from the last generation of, uh, of uh, uh, elite policymaking. I, I, I can see that, I agree with it, but I, I think that the direction, the healthier direction is to recognize that there are some people who are um, who are uh, more educated and 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 uh, and, and uh, more uh, uh, work in white collar jobs and might be wealthier. Some of those people are solidly on the side of um, you know of of uh, of the broad public and 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 its concerns. So um, so I'd rather nationalist, but populist is. Uh, uh, is also not a bad description of what's going on right now. You end your book, Conservatism, A Rediscovery, with a chapter and relating your personal experiences. That... Right, and you, and you were there for a lot of that. So you, what? you need I to was. tell me whether I remembered it correctly or not. Uh, <laughs> and you make a very compelling case that conservatives to be successful, especially in the long run, have got to act like and live like conservatives. And that it's not just ideas and lip service, it's actually um, living that type of a life, a virtuous life is what I would describe it. Uh, can you summarize what your your message is to the conservative movement on that aspect of things beyond the uh, debating ideas? Yeah, sure. I I I think that I, I really think that that the, the disaster that we're we're looking at it it's playing itself out on on two very different levels. Uh, on the one on the one hand, there's you know the, kind of the public policy, public culture side that we've been talking about, but on the other hand, um, the, the, this is a very personal thing. Uh, young men and women um, uh, tell me all the time, you know, you, you're you're talking about you're talking about a cultural inheritance where I didn't inherit any of this. Like I, it, it, a lot of people have grown up. Um, in uh, in broken families, very distant from any kind of religious tradition, with um, a lot of social decay, abortion, alcoholism, drug abuse, and and the, the you know the idea that some government policy which is going to fix all of this is 
uh, is preposterous. I mean, government can do some things to help, but fundamentally, individuals, families, and communities have to do work in order to uh, to move themselves out of liberal society and into a society where good, healthy traditions are still being transmitted from one generation to the next. Now, you can't learn how to do that by reading a book. Conservatism just, you, you, I mean, you can write about it all you want, but the real move to become a conservative person, to lead a conservative life, that is a move that requires uh, each person to look at, you know, look at the way they're living and say, you know, I, 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 I want to take my place in a society that is transmitting healthy, um, healthy ways um, from one generation to the next. That means joining an Orthodox church or an Orthodox synagogue, uh, which I, I know a lot of people just don't think that they, they will ever do that. But I'm saying, look, look around you, look what's happening. You, you, you can see that, you know, people are just unhappy. People are, 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 are um, they don't know which way to turn. They're having difficulty getting married. They're having difficulty having kids. They're having difficulty staying married. Like all the most basic things are, are, are difficult now. And there is an answer to that. And the answer, I, I, I know quite a bit about it because that's what Julie and me, that's what we did when we were young was that we, we both came from broken homes and we both came from, from families where, uh, where the transmission of the tradition uh, was, uh, um, uh, was limited. And uh, our decision that we made uh, when we were in college was that, uh, that we wanted the kind of family um, that is uh, the kind of family and the kind of life uh, where where God is present and Scripture is present and trans tr tradition is being handed down, and and we did it. We uh, we joined a congregation. We began learning, and uh, and and um, for those people who think that maybe maybe um, they're they're willing to consider a with their own hands uh, rebuilding this conservative tradition. Uh, there's a lot in my book that tells tells you about about our experiences and about how how we did that. Um, we 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 have uh, uh, nine children at this point, and uh, recently three grandchildren, and um, and we did what we set out to do. I don't mean to to say that it wasn't hard. Um, there's lots of tragedy in every person's life, uh, no matter what decisions they make, uh, but. Uh, the, the 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 possibility of significantly improving um, uh, your 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 position in the world by joining the chain of transmission and conservation, which still lives, that is a possibility that uh, that I think we should be talking about. And I'm happy to talk to people about it myself. Well, I urge people to read the whole book, and that they shouldn't stop before the end, because that section of the book is extremely compelling. Um, again, the book is Conservatism, a rediscovery. Um, I would also suggest that the conservative movement take a close look at the right to life movement in this country. 
with tremendous opposition from every corner. The right to life movement not only is looks like it's going to succeed in a big way at the at the Supreme Court, but it mobilized hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of young people going against the popular pro pro-choice movement, pro-abortion movement. And one of the things that my wife and I have done over the years is try to attend the March for Life in Washington, D.C., usually in the coldest of weathers, and, um, and seeing hundreds of thousands of American young people, high school students and college students um, marching on behalf of the unborn, which uh, has been a huge success. And, um, and it wasn't launched or sustained by old folks or money. Uh, it was sustained mostly by young people. Yoram, I thank you for joining us today. Uh, I wish you all the success with the book and the movement. I think it's absolutely crucial. One of the things that you've said in this conversation, which um, I think is extremely important, what's happening here is happening in Canada. It's happening in Britain. It's happening in a good portion of the Western world. And, um, and it's a full-fledged revolution. And we have to deal with it as what it is revolution and um and i'm sure you're going to continue to keep the battle going we will continue to keep the battle going and uh conservatism a rediscovery it's really a, an educational experience um we were as you said in this conversation we were by left-wing democratic president called us fdr called us um, a Christian nation. It's not that long ago. It's not, um, it's not at the founding. Um, it's into the 20th century that we were a Christian nation. What we mean by Christian is also uh, overall a nation that believed in God. And, um, and uh, at the end, we'll win, <laughs> but we have to fight. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.